0: It's Madison the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And there's no need of running and no need of saying, Honey, I'm not going to get in the mess. Because if you were born in America with a black face, you're born in the mess. And Dr. Keisha Blaine, award-winning historian, thank you so much for taking the time to be on The Madison Show. I really appreciate the fact that uh, you wrote this book, Until I Am Free, Fannie Lou Hamer's Enduring Message to America, because it really is, it's a subtitle that I also appreciate, this isn't a biography; just a biography of Fannie Lou Hamer. Is am I correct?
1: That's correct. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Um, it, it, and 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 the, the one thing that I I'm reading that I wanted to start off with, where Fannie Lou Hamer, and it, and this appears throughout the uh, book, she advocated. For effective leaders, and also criticize. That was really so interesting. She had no problem in criticizing any of the major leaders of the civil rights movement.
1: Yes, and in fact, in fact, that's one of the reasons that I so admire her, uh, because few people are that bold. You know, she embraced this notion of radical honesty speaking truth always and she didn't really care who you were you know whether you were well known uh, whether uh, other people uh, looked up to you if she saw something wrong with your approach uh, she would say so very bold uh, in her approach
0: dr blaine how did how did the in in the book how did the other leaders receive her
1: so i think there was a uh, well, Really, in the very beginning, I would say, um, and and just to take a step back for a minute, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer became involved in the civil rights movement in 1962. uh, And at the time, uh, there were so many people she came to contact with uh, through the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uh, Many of the people she worked with were pretty experienced activists. They were involved in the movement for several years, uh, and so they were seasoned and and she was not. And and I think that meant that she rubbed some folks the wrong way. You know, some people struggled with her because of her approach. I mentioned her radical honesty. Some people did not like that, and they thought she needed to uh, play the part more. And, you know, they, they really wanted her to fall into the respectability politics uh, some more, and she resisted that. But I think with time, uh, everyone around her came to understand her, came to respect her, and certainly uh, came to be inspired by her.
0: But let's go back for just a couple of sentences. Um, You know, you're right. You you had the ministers, doctorate degrees, uh, educated leaders. Um, She finished well, her last grade in school was what
1: sixth grade
0: the sixth grade so a sixth mm-hmm. grade education how much of this um, that you write about was due to the fact that much of the civil rights leadership was male dominated
1: yes this is certainly true um were certainly class Differences, to be sure, but but we do have to talk about the gender dynamics. Uh, many of the leaders who we um, focus on, for example, someone like Martin Luther King Jr., uh, and you know he was a minister, he was involved, he was leading uh, the student, the Southern Christian Leadership uh, Conference, and and that group, uh, primarily, uh, men, all from religious backgrounds, uh, and it's not that. Black women were not involved in the movement. Certainly they were. They were active in the movement in many ways. But the civil rights movement, uh, is, when we look at the leadership of the movement, those who were visible at least uh, to, to the general public, it was very much male-dominated. And Hamer had to, to assert herself uh, as a woman, as a working-class uh, black woman, uh, in a space where people did not always want to hear what women had to say
0: you you also write and talk about uh, in the book you write about uh the e- economic difficulties that she and her family uh and went through I, she she and her husband went through talk to us about that because very few uh historians uh write about that you you don't you know you hear about the the arrest and civil disobedience and and that type of thing, but these, but Fannie Lou Hamer uh, didn't make a lot of money, didn't have a lot of money, so a lot of people w- may read about how about how did they survive?
1: Well, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, as so many others working alongside of her uh, in Mississippi, uh, struggled to make ends meet. One of the things that I focused on in the book. Uh, in describing her early life, is uh, sharecropping. I talk about sharecropping as a system of exploitation that ultimately kept black people uh, in Mississippi and certainly throughout the South uh, in debt. Uh, and uh, this was a system of dependency whereby uh, people, uh, black people could not own land. Uh, in fact, even the tools they used on the plantation were tools that were owned by white landowners. And this was the, the, you know, this was the circumstances with which Hamer uh, grew up in Mississippi. She grew up in a sharecropping family, continued to work as a sharecropper for, for much of her life, uh, and endured poverty um, and, and hunger. And, and so not surprisingly, when she became involved in the civil rights movement, one of the things she wanted to do was work to bring an end uh, to poverty. She wanted to address uh, poverty in uh, Sunflower County. She certainly wanted to address it uh, on a national level as well.
0: And and but th- these, th- you know, being involved, it takes money. You have to travel. Uh, you you have to eat. <laughs> I mean, th- th- and and a lot of young people, I think, are mis think mistakenly that th- th- somehow these folks are getting paid. The Fannie Lou Hamer, of the world's weren't getting paid, were they?
1: Absolutely not. Uh, In fact, there were so many moments of her life where she simply had to rely on the kindness of others, on the support of others. She was deeply committed to advancing the cause of civil rights and human rights, and that's really all that she cared about. It was not about making money. It was not about, it wasn't even about the fame. In fact, uh, she didn't despise uh, being well known. And she, of course, became well known um, after 1964, and she gave that courageous speech at the DNC. Mm-hmm. But she she wasn't looking for that. She wasn't <coughs> looking for fame. She wasn't looking for people to know her name. She just wanted to expand black political rights. She was so committed to the cause uh, that she didn't think of herself often. And, and sadly, um, I think in many ways, um, that led to her untimely death because she... Ended up having so many physical ailments, uh, constantly pushing herself. Even at moments where mm-hmm. she needed to rest, she just kept going.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was I was reading in the book. Uh, she had a lot of comorbidities. Did she not? Uh, high blood pressure, just cholesterol, mm-hmm. sight. Uh, the the. And by the way, there's there was no health insurance <laughs> involved. So she had to right. struggle through those things without any. Real health insurance. Um, did she have in any peers during in the movement during her period? Um, I mean, we we know of a Rosa Parks. Fannie Lou Hamer also comes to to mind. But were there other women that you you mention in the book that might have been Han, Fannie Lou Hamer's peers?
1: Yes, so I talk about several key figures. Uh, one of the individuals who Hamer truly adored um, was Ella Baker, and Ella Baker, many people will know through the context of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, and Ella Baker um, just I think was so kind to Hamer, really nurtured Hamer, worked closely with her. I you know I think. For Hamer, she saw Ella Baker as a friend, certainly, but also as a mentor, someone she would go to for advice uh, when she needed advice, uh, and and so I think of Ella Baker as as one of the the key uh, influencers in Fannie Lou Hamer's life, as another Black woman uh, working at the time, uh, you know, to expand voting rights, working uh, primarily with young activists in the movement, and in some ways providing a bridge between the sort of generational divide. That, that we saw um, taking place in the movement as older activists were moving in one direction and younger, uh, more radical activists were moving in another. Uh, so that's one person that I highlight. Uh, also, uh, just so many other women, but who comes to mind now, mm-hmm. um, I, would, I would just focus on Ella Baker as one example.
0: Dr. Keisha uh, Blaine uh, is our... Uh is our guest. And I I, got to tell you, I I really appreciate the fact that you uh, put this together. The book is titled Until I Am Free, Fannie Lou Hamer's Enduring Message to America. One of the people uh, that obviously uh, uh, you write about in the book, I happen to know personally I actually ended up serving on the national board of the NACP with him, uh, Aaron Henry, quite an individual, <laughs> uh, and I knew him in the latter part of his uh, of his life, uh, who went on to become a state representative. Can you can you talk about that relationship uh, with Fannie Lou Hamer and Aaron Henry, who clearly uh, was very prominent? In in uh, the Mississippi Freedom uh, Party.
1: Yes, uh, and so he's an interesting figure. You know, yeah. um, as you know, a black um, pharmacist. What's so striking about him is that he ran for governor um, with Edwin King, who was a college chaplain, a white college uh, chaplain. Was uh, ultimately, just to, to step back for a minute, you mentioned the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Hamer uh, played such a pivotal role in the establishment Mm -hmm. of this party. And one of the things that they organized in 1963, um, well, actually, before the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, one of the things that they established a year before was the freedom vote uh, in 63. And this was uh, what historians describe as a mock ballot. Uh, It it was an attempt to send a message broadly that, you know, many white supremacists would, would argue that, Um, black people didn't vote because they they didn't want to. Uh, And, and of course, activists like Hamer kept saying, no, black people are interested in voting, but we're constantly encountering violence. You know, all of these tactics are being used to suppress the vote. And and so this particular freedom uh, vote in 63 was a way to send a clear message that uh, if given the opportunity, without all of these barriers, black people would overwhelmingly, you know, overwhelmingly come out and vote. And so um, on the mock ballot included this interracial ticket with um, Aaron Henry and Mm -hmm. Edmund King. And so this was, uh, he certainly, I I think, played a pivotal role um, as one of the activists who Hamer collaborated with uh, in the 60s trying to advance black political rights uh, in Mississippi.
0: But they, but there was a conflict there, particularly in Atlantic City, was there not? Between well, yes, Fannie Lou um, Ham, because Aaron yeah. Henry, yeah, you know, they had this compromise that was offered them, and, and and that's what I wanted you to speak to because that a lot of people do know about uh, that conflict that existed, um, and I think what if I'm not mistaken as I was reading. Aaron Henry and Fannie Lou Hamer ended up on opposite sides of that compromise?
1: Yes. And so at the um, 64 Democratic National Convention, Henry, along with several others, in fact, um, NAACP leader Roy Wilkins, uh, as another example, um, and even Bayard Rushton, several activists at the time felt that the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party activists should accept a compromise. You know, they were demanding full representation. They wanted to make sure that uh, black people were represented for the state of Mississippi. And um, Aaron Henry, you know, as well as Bayard Rustin and others, felt like they, that Hamer needed to compromise because they were thinking about the long game. Their attitude was, listen, if we take what's being offered now, it will help in the long term, uh, it will certainly help with the National Democratic Party. Um, and, and it, it, you know, it would be a sign of goodwill. We'll be able to work with, uh, with the president. So they were just thinking, like, this is a strategy that would help. Uh, but Hamer's attitude was, I'm not interested in appeasing anyone. I'm not interested in compromising. What I came here was for full representation. And, and so there was a moment where uh, she came, you know, face-to-face uh, with Aaron Henry, uh, in in disagreement over this, uh, but it but again it it was, I think a reflection of how um she just refused mm-hmm. to ever, i think um compromise her values, even yeah. if other people around her saw um, you know what they described as the necessity of compromise. she was right. the notion of compromise
0: right and 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 she I was reading she had a few choice words for Martin Luther King Jr, too, as I recall you writing.
1: Yes, there was a moment um <laughs> where she <laughs> described king and and other civil rights leaders as tools of the Johnson right. administration um and it was her way of saying that you know these individuals are far more interested in trying to make nice with the National Democratic Party um, as opposed to um you know, standing firmly for the, the rights um, of black people. Yeah. Um, you know, one can certainly quibble with, with that approach, but, but it was it was Hamer's perspective and it, it was her way of saying um, it doesn't really matter, you know, if we disagree with the president, let's stand firm um, and not worry about all of this, you know, sort of quote-unquote political strategy when people um, are facing violence and, and people... Are being um, blocked from the from the ballot box. So, uh, just another example of of Hamer's personality, which, as I said before, rubbed some people the wrong way.
0: Now I'm going to close. I only have a minute left, but I found your last paragraph. I guess this was in the acknowledgments. Um, you you you. And I'm reading finishing this book in the midst of a global pandemic. And widespread political uprising was a dizzying experience. Explain that if if you don't mind as we close out.
1: Yes, I think, like so many people, um, what is so difficult in reflecting on the developments of last year is that the political uprisings, uh, certainly for me, was a moment of hope because it showed how people can come together to challenge uh, racial oppression. At the same time, it was a moment where we were experiencing so much devastation and loss, um, and then of course the uprisings followed. The um, you know the police killings of uh, George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and, and so many others, and so I, I just felt like I was constantly struggling through my emotions. Uh, at one moment, feeling hopeful that we could in fact overcome uh, you know the legacy of racism and white supremacy in this country. And then other moments where I felt um completely uh, in despair about what the future might look like. So that's what I meant by it just being a dizzying experience. And I found I think a renewed a renewed sense of hope in Hamer's words and in her life story.
0: That's why I love the uh, the um subtitle. Uh her as you wrote, I mean as a subtitle, Fannie Lou Hamer's enduring message uh to America um and uh i just so appreciate the fact that you took the time and like any uh great book it it must have been interesting cuz you you have to go back research um I, does she finally does she have any relatives that are, are that are still alive that remember her
1: yes in fact um she has a daughter who is um still with us and uh, in, in fact I have plans uh, fingers crossed that everything would go smoothly I have plans to, to speak with her daughter we're doing an event together uh, in um, as part of the book tour so um, that was one of the I think important aspects of doing research for the book was having the opportunity to talk to folks who knew Hamer and I was so so grateful for the opportunity to talk to her only um, surviving daughter who's who I shared a a copy of the book with and um, really look forward to hearing her thoughts about it in a few weeks
0: we'll get the book up on our social media and again uh, uh, Dr. Blaine thank you so much for uh, doing this and and taking the time this uh, this morning to uh, to talk to us here on the Madison show and uh, good luck with the the book it's titled until I'm free Fannie Lou Hamer's Enduring Message to America, Keisha, Dr. Keisha Blaine. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks again. You can listen to yours truly, Madison the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.